0: You are listening to episode 98 of the Tennis Files podcast with special
1: guest Rick Macy. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now here's your host, Marban Iranshad. Hey
0: everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. It's always a pleasure to communicate with you once again via the podcast. And I've been playing a lot of tennis lately. I've played actually four days in a row, which is the first time in a while that I've done that. Uh, Thanks to all the grinding that I've been doing with the online summit and uh, other projects uh, for Tennis files and things like that. But I'm really excited to uh, keep pumping out more episodes and uh, bringing you great interviews and solo episodes as well. And uh, today my interview is with Rick Macy and I actually spoke to him a few weeks ago. And if you don't know about about Rick Macy, he actually is a legendary coach. He's coached some amazing players who have won over 247 UST National Championships since 1985, and he's most well known for coaching five number one players, which are Venus and Serena Williams, Jennifer Capriati, Andy Roddick, and Maria Sharapova, as well as hundreds of other world-class professionals and also amateurs as well. And he's the founder of the Rick Macy Tennis Academy. Funny enough, when I first learned about him, I kept calling him Rick Machi, which <laughs> that's not right. But uh, glad I learned about that before I interviewed him. Uh, that would have been kind of awkward. But anyway... Uh, I really hope you enjoy this episode and it's going to be about the most critical principles to developing uh, really solid technique. So the Rick Macy Tennis Academy is most well known for developing biomechanically sound technique on your strokes. And this is something that A lot of us struggle with so much. I mean, uh, amateurs, you know, we don't have uh, very (laughs) mechanically sound strokes, you know, maybe we'll have one or two, but they're not all super sound. And so that's why I think it's going to be a really great listen for you to learn from one of the best in the game about techniques. So there you go. So without further ado, here is my interview with Rick Macy. Hey everyone, I'm Mirban Aranchad, and we're here with Rick Macy to talk about how to develop rock-solid technique, uh, which is a part of tennis that we all struggle with. Uh, Rick is one of the most legendary tennis coaches of all time. He has coached five number one players, Venus and Serena Williams, Jennifer Capriati, Andy Roddick, and Maria Sharapova, as well as hundreds of world-class professionals. Uh, Rick's players have won over 247 USTA national championships since 1985, and Rick is also the founder of a fantastic academy, prediction called the Rick Macy Tennis Academy, and he's also a highly sought-out motivational speaker, clinician, and author. So, uh, Rick, it's really an honor to have you on the Summit. Appreciate you joining us today.
2: Yeah, glad to be here and share some of my ideas, thoughts, and wisdom with everybody.
0: Thanks so much, Rick. Uh, and so, uh, you, Rick, you and the Academy are world-renowned for developing technique. Uh, I watched a few videos on YouTube and uh, have seen your work and a great forehand video as well uh, with the USPTA uh, and others. So I uh, appreciate you coming on and I the first question I have for you is some players end up ignoring technique and they say that you can get by on superior strategy alone, but in your opinion, how important is good technique to reaching your true tennis potential?
2: Um, well, it depends on what your goals are and it depends on, you know, what lens you're looking through the world of tennis at. Um, I would rephrase it a different way. Um, what if Federer had a severe Western grip and it hit every ball off his back foot? Do you think he would still be playing and be the player that? That he became today definitely not uh, okay. So I think it's that that's probably the easiest answer for me to give right there. Okay, so you look at someone like like Federer or anybody these guys that you know biomechanically are really sound. It, it's a package, you know, it's not one stop shopping. Um, so the question you ask about superior tactics, strategy, and all that stuff, they go hand in hand because let's just take Federer's forehand uh, for example. He has more options, more versatility, more deception, more disguise more compaction. So he was ahead of the curve as the game has gotten faster, quicker, bigger, and all that good stuff. Uh, he was waiting there already hitting the ball like this when he won junior Wimbledon uh, you know, when he was 18 years old. So at the end of the day, and that's just one stroke, at the end of the day, the three big ticket items are the forehand, backhand, serve. Those are the most flawed strokes in the game. The other stuff, you know, drop shots, fly slobs, those are pretty vanilla, and it's pretty globally around the world. It's kind of hard to mess that up. But then again, depending on what level what we're talking about. If you're talking a 3 lady or a club player or, you know, a 4.5 or just junior college, as you reach the upper echelon and you want to be the best you can be, tech its and that's all in the eye of the beholder. You know, I've done a lot of work uh, for all the USCA coaches uh, in that area. Uh, a lot of other coaches, kids, uh, high-level, world-renowned coaches. I coach their kids. So, you know, there's a there's not a wrong way or right way. I agree with you on that, but there's a better way. And the game has changed so much much, you know, the more complicated you are or the more uh, you're the human improviser out there, I it's gonna be it's gonna be a tougher ticket. I tell everybody, what if this person had that stroke? And it always comes back to they would have won millions of more dollars uh, if they were better in that area. And it starts with technique. Starts at a young age. You got to bake it in. The muscle memory is brutal to change as you get older. A little easier on the serve because you're standing still. But it's very hard to reprogram the reflexes and then rebrainwash the muscle memory as they get older. And that's why I got some kids five, six, seven, eight, nine. Their technique on the forehand and backhand is better than some world-class players. And I'm not saying that's what they're going to be. I'm just saying they're going to enjoy tennis for a lifetime because they hit the ball amazing no matter what speed the ball is coming to them.
0: Yeah, great great points there, Rick. Really appreciate that. And so when a player is struggling with their, their technique, whether they're young or if they've been uh, you know, ingrained with bad technique, generally for, for amateur players, what is the first step that you would have them take to... Uh, c- to correct this uh, this bad technique?
2: Well, when you say bad technique, there's a lot of tentacles. There's a lot of spokes. There's a lot of rippling that comes from that. So you, you can't just throw a net out there and say, what is bad technique? You know, if you do a billion of anything, you can master crummy, you know, but you've just <laughs> mastered crummy. You know what I mean? So it, it's it's kind of a complicated question because obviously the more repetitions you get in anything, you will get better, but you'll be limited. And that's kind of how I explain it to everybody body. You know, the way someone shoots a jump shot, you know, or hits a golf ball. You look at Jim Furyk, he has that waggle at the top, but he, he finds his slot. So uh, there's no real medicine unless you want to rewire the whole thing. And I think if you're if your technique, uh, if you can run and you can get set and you're a dog and you want to compete, obviously those attributes are going to take you a long way. But if you have those qualities and you hit the forehand like Federer, I think your level is going to be, you know, a, to- a totally different. So it there's nothing you can really do other than just do the best you can and focus on you know when am i going to hit it higher or lower focus more on the strategic part of the game because you're already dealt with the cards you've been dealt with and it's pretty well baked in Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense there and and one uh question too regarding well these are all about technique i guess rick but as far as sticking with a technical change you know let's say you're with a coach and say they uh, have you change your serve to an abbreviated take back i mean how how long does it, you know, should we stick with this technical change before we know for sure that it isn't for us and that, you know, maybe we should change to something else or re- revert back?
2: Okay, good question. First off, when you make changes, see, a lot of times people don't understand the serve. The serve's the most complex stroke in the game because there's a lot of moving parts and no one understands the science behind the serve. They don't really understand that leg drive initiates racket beat. So that being said, you know, if you're 60 years old, I don't think the legs are going to be a big part of your serve because, you know, you're already limited. You're going, you know, you're more on the back 18 of your career. So, you know, so right off the bat, you're going to look at the serve totally different than, say, a world-class player. But that being said, there's no time limit. The the best players do experiment. They mess around with grips and stance and and take back. But the problem that I see, most coaches identify the symptom and they don't really understand the culprit. And obviously that, you know, been one of my gifts and you know, just studying this stuff and looking at 50,000 MRIs and being on the court, you know, probably more than anybody uh, that's taught the game. um, Even today, I still teach 50 hours a week of private. So it's a little different uh, when we just throw a net out there and say, try this, try that. But I do think having an open mind and trying anything could unlock relaxation. It could make you tighter. You know, it could be worse. Uh, A lot of times when I work with players, uh, especially world-class players or high-level juniors, I got to reverse engineer the whole uh, teaching concept when I do it backwards because because it's so baked in and I do it backwards and I can solve the problem a lot quicker. So it's a little more complex the, the way I do this, um, but to put a time limit or a time clock on, uh, it depends on each person. Some people are going to be a little looser. Some people are going to be a little more relaxed. Some people want to change. Um, and then doing it out of a basket is different than a practice match. Then doing a practice match is different than a tournament. Then doing a tournament is different than an, another higher level tournament. So there's different progressions of handling the pressure just to see if the change is going to happen. Um, but you don't change this to change, you know, and I think there's different levels of wisdom and insight um, unless they really have a biomechanical background or they have some understanding of the principles. Uh, it's going to be hard mm-hmm. to get optimal technique because you can't just say, do it like Federer because it is, this is so complex. And a lot of this I didn't understand, you know, until like 20 years ago. And I've been doing this, you know, 40 years.
0: Yeah, it's so neat now. I mean, I, uh, Dr. Kovacs comes comes to mind, and a lot of other institutes where they're you know studying yourself as well, studying the biomechanics of each individual person, how they move and their efficiencies and things like that. So it's uh really important to know that, and in, uh, in, instead of just um you know suggesting a cookie cutter type of technique for everybody, but. Uh, Also, uh, regarding fixing a stroke, uh, Rick, and you mentioned uh, uh, earlier about, uh, you know, how you do it a different ways than others sometimes, like when you have a stroke that maybe has multiple issues, is it better to start fixing it from the beginning of the stroke and working towards the end? Or do you prefer working from the end of the stroke to backwards? Or do you have any sort of preference in that regard? Great question.
2: Um, It depends on the individual and where I feel they're they're at and the progression progression of their development and how baked in or how problematic uh, the problem is. But usually, and this is what's funny um, or ironic, you know, 10 years ago, people didn't think how you took the racket back had any bearing on the stroke. And through a lot of research that I've done and, and others, it has a lot to do because it, it, you know, puts the racket in, a, orientates it in a certain place, the hand, the elbow, it influences, you know, the shape of the backswing or, you know, there's a, and there's three components here, your wrist, elbow, and shoulder. They're all hinges and the hinge kind of goes the other way. So the modern forehand that you've seen that, you know, kind of went viral. Um, I think people it really opened their eyes the way I explain this and what really goes on. Uh, and I was still generic. I wasn't under the hood, but I went deeper than, you know, a regular tennis lesson. So to answer your question, it, it would be from the beginning more than likely because how you start sometimes is how you're going to finish. And the beginning has a big influence. You know, I can change someone's take back and solve maybe three problems because I I transfer the energy in different directions. And it's really, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say it's like the greatest show on earth, but people (laughs) are blown away the way I can connect the dots and just expedite the learning curve. But I would say if there was one or the other, I would start um, from the beginning. But with some people, I might even put the racket in the other hand and they'll go, wow, I never felt like that before. Because there's no muscle memory. Say they're a righty and I put it in their left hand. They actually do it technically better with the left hand than the right hand, but they can't do it because obviously you see the reps and they're not strong enough or maybe it's coordinated, but they check more boxes on the left side than the side that they've hit millions of balls and spent a lot of money and I'm almost ready to send them into retirement after they hear they see all this stuff.
0: <laughs> Love it, Rick. Love it. Appreciate all that advice there. And so uh, one aspect among others that uh, amateur players struggle with is getting into a powerful loaded position. Uh, I think especially on the serve but also on, on other strokes of course. So uh, what tips do you have for us on getting into an optimal uh, loaded posi- position so that we can unleash more stored energy into our shots?
2: Well, obviously, if you don't get there, you're not going to have as many options. And so, you know, getting to the ball, I mean, that's never changed in the history of tennis. You run, you get set and hit. Now it's like you run and it's more about loading. You know, that's, a, that's the word the last you know, 20 years. So I do a lot where I throw the ball to people and they run over there. They load the system. What I call the system is the body. They load the system and they just let the ball go by. Okay. And the reason why I do that, see, I'm working psychologically. I'm having a different objective psychologically in their head because when people run to the ball, their first goal is to get it. And their second goal is to hit it. Okay. And so what they do, especially like you said, the club player, or that's kind of, I think what you're referring to, they run, they get near the ball and they just give it a thump because they have a racket and an arm and they pick up the racket with the hand and they think the arm hits the ball. Unfortunately, power starts from the ground up. The power starts from the leg. It goes to the hip, the shoulder, out the arm, through the racket so you got to load the system so what i do is i have people run to the ball load they'll be in that you know nice coiled position where the shoulders are farther than the hips what we call a separation angle and i let them make i make them let the ball go by and then i get them to feel what it's like to load but and for some people it's even hard to let the ball go by and that goes to show you mentally just how excited people are because we all know in this sport and sports in general the wild card for greatness is calmness you got to be very intense, very competitive, but you got to be calm. And so I do that drill a lot, and it's been a game changer for a lot of people because I've given them a reference point to run, load, but not hit the ball. And then when I bring the ball back in the equation, I've kind of baked in a little bit more the loading process that are telling them, oh, you didn't bend enough or whatever. So that's something I use, and I've had great success. And I got hundreds of corrective techniques that I have on all the strokes that I use to try to expedite the learning curve.
0: Wow. Love that drill, Rick. Appreciate that. I'm definitely going to try that right after uh, this call. Um, And and so a
2: lot of people, (laughs) uh, a lot of people think, what are you doing? So kids have went home and they told their coach that and they're going, what is that? See, I'm doing it for psychological reasons. Mm -hmm. Most people don't load, either it's a bad habit or they get near the ball and they're excited. So that's why they don't load, especially at the club level.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate that, Rick. I mean, I I do some footwork drills in the morning and, you know, I've been trying to improve my load, especially on my backhand, because I find when I'm playing kind of like you're talking about I'm not loading enough on that but you know when you don't have that variable of the ball or if you have a great coach who will tell you to, to load with the ball coming at you then that's when you'll uh, improve yourself so uh Rick you know I feel like the serve is just this the stroke that people struggle with the most uh, it, from what I've seen and can you can you kind of explain like why I, I don't know if you have this same view but why is the the serve such a complex stroke that so many people uh, struggle with
2: it's in a- interesting because um, just through all my experiences and, you know, being around a lot of biomechanists and, you know, people through my career and, you know, studied this stuff and looked at, uh, you know, millions of video at 400 frames a second, the serve is the easiest thing to teach, uh, even though it's the most complicated because there's no movement. You know, it's like hitting a golf ball, except obviously the ball is not stationary, but since there's no movement, there's a lot of things that are easier to pull off uh, with the serve. But the reason why it's more Complicated. 99%, I'd say people don't understand the serve. And when I say that, I even mean world class athletes, coaches, um, and all levels. They don't understand the science behind the serve. Uh, now, it's complicated because you got the left side of your body doing something and the right side, and there's a lot of moving parts uh, going in a lot of different directions and requires a little more coordination. So that's why it's problematic for the club player. The club player doesn't even have the right grip half the time. So if you're talking even at the world-class level, and I did a study of this, okay, over 95% of the women on the tour, biomechanically, the serve is incorrect. But if you do millions of anything, you're going to perfect something pretty decent. All right, so that being said, the science behind the serve is, and I mentioned this earlier, leg drive initiates racket speed. There's an optimal time when the racket should be going in and the leg should be going up. This is called counterintuitive. When one thing is going one way, the other is going, the other way. So the science is the legs are supposed to drive the racket down into the lower part of the back area, if you want to call it that, or just goes into that area. But most people enter that area anywhere from 10 to 100% too soon. They don't put the racket not only in the right place, okay, but they drive the legs at the wrong time. And the human eye can't see this. And I had to work. I worked a lot with all the players at player development uh, when the USTA was at Everett, and almost everybody was wrong. Even Riley Opopka who I spent a lot of time with, who's now seven feet tall. Um, it, it's it's amazing because you can still do it wrong and still get a lot out of it. But, and it's kind of hard to explain in this interview exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but the racket, you're, you're preparing to hit the ball, the racket to the outside. You know, whether you're you're starting to drive your legs when the racket's like, say, Sampras or Kyrgios or Roddick or Songa. they drive it when the racket's a little more to the right. Okay, the legs start coming up and it pulls the racket in or the racket's up like him or Federer a little bit. That's an op, That's a good way to do it also. But when you do it like Sampras, Sangha, Roddy, people like that, the forearm will rotate actually from my research about 90%, 20, 90 degrees more and you'll get more power spin. But I don't want to get too off track from your question, but the, the number one culprit is people drive the legs at the wrong time and people use your legs more, use your legs more. And they keep making the problem worse because the racket's already in too soon. And once I explain this at a seminar or convention, over and over again, people understand it. But you, you gotta the the human eye can't see it, even though I have a human eye. But the human eye can't see this. It happens too quick, and you can do it wrong and still get away with it. And there's a lot of guys on the tour that are flawless, and there's a handful of girls that are. Um, and then on the second serve, it's brutal because most everybody leaks and puts the racket in way too soon because they don't want to double fault. So the timing of the legs and the racket are all wrong, but you can still pull it off. But so, but that's really in a nutshell, and I covered a lot of real estate there, and that's why I've been fortunate you know, uh, to have a lot of people, no matter what level they got to, everybody, if they listen and they put in the homework, uh, I can get them a, a great serve, no doubt.
1: Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe. More than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology. With its sleek, mid-cut silhouette, it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers is high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com
0: Wow, rick that is uh, fantastic stuff i'm personally going to rewind this a few minutes and uh, listen to that a few times that, that was great stuff appreciate it and uh, as far as what you just mentioned you know the timing of the legs and, and the throwing is there maybe one drill that you might suggest us to do Was maybe a simple drill to kind of just help nail that in a little better?
2: Well, what I do is I put the people on probation. I put the racket up at a 90-degree angle. I put my racket next to their racket so they can't move it. I have them toss, bend, and tilt, and they start to jump first or drive the legs first, and then I let go of the racket so it shoots the body up into a dynamic cartwheel, and I can actually feel their racket pressing against my racket because everybody wants to leak the racket. So at the end of the day, that I do that more than anything and everybody serves better with my racket on their racket how crazy is that i mean i have so many people people just freak out and the parents freak out and they video this stuff everybody they just it's like everybody's freaking out about this and they're going "Uh, because it's i I make it happen for free and free is good and it shoots the body up into this you know vertical uh, position and like i said they go into the the dynamic cartwheel a lot more explosively and they all say the same thing i go were you higher off the ground yes you reach up more? Yes. Did the ball go over the net higher? Yes. Did I tell you to do any of those things? No. Wow. See, they all happen for free. And I don't even tell people to, to bend their knees. Um uh, if unless they don't bend their knees, obviously. And I actually reverse engineer it. Sometimes I have and I can't put this in an article, so I don't want people to start throwing darts at me because <laughs> they need to come and watch me teach because I that's why I couldn't write it. See, uh mo- you don't try to jump. Your legs drive and it comes you come off the ground and we call it a jump. But sometimes if you think about it, how many people have you had that You've taught in your lifetime that jump too soon. None. Okay. Everybody drives your legs too late because no one understands the theory. I have people jump too soon and they still can't do it. I have them jump on purpose like they're playing volleyball, okay, spiking a volleyball and they all serve better. Because what it does, it makes the racket more dormant. So they're not, their racket's not all over, you know, Palm Beach County down here and the legs drive the racket and it's a pulling action. It's not just, you know, total spaghetti out of control arm thing. Don't get me wrong. The arm is loose and you're free and all that stuff, but the legs drive the racket. That's why you see a lot of the guys serve look different than the women serve. Not that they're the women serves are bad, I'm not saying that, but they look different. They're shorter, they're more compact, they're more organized, and it's like a karate move. So it's a whole different concept because the guys have a tendency to do it a little different. Maybe they threw a ball as a youngster different, where the leg, hip, and shoulder were synchronized, whatever. But the problem is your arm is twice as long, got a racket in your hand, everybody overcooks it extra crispy. The racket goes down the back too soon on the other side of the head. And it's just, just there's just some uh, a minutia of problems that occur on the SIR. Um, and, you know, if they went at it from a biomechanical point of view and you really understood what should happen. But what most people do is they say, use your legs more, jump more, reach up more, you know, keep your head up. Those are all good tips, but all vanilla and they're a symptom because no one really understands uh, the real culprit.
0: Wow, Rick, uh, that's that's amazing stuff. A uh, real goldmine of information. Information there. Uh, I, I know you're super busy, Rick. One last question for you uh, on the technical side: uh, Do you ban players from playing? You know, if they want to improve their technique, do you do you not have them play tournaments in certain cases until they nail down
2: uh, the, the
0: technique on a particular stroke?
2: Not really. You know, I think them playing a tournament, you get to see it live and in color because when the fans are in the stands and you know there's accountability and pressure, that that says it all. Everybody's good out the basket or hand feeding or even in a practice match and listen at the end of the day if they don't want to do it that's their decision i mean they're going to make their own decisions you know as a coach a teacher a role model all you can do is you know educate and give them the best you know advice that you can give them they're going to go out there and pull the trigger and they're going to do what they want to do anyways whether it's technically or you see this a lot strategically you know people are very aggressive they're hitting early then you go to the tournament and they're in a prevent defense you know with no time on the clock and they're just just you know, hitting off the back foot, lobbing the ball, and you're going, what is this all about? So, you know, I don't, I, at the end of the day, I just tell them, it's up to you. If you want to win, you're going to, you want a better chance to win, you're going to listen. If you like to lose, then do your own thing. I mean, just, just keep it simple here, black and white. You're going to make your own decision and whatever you want to do, it's your game, your career, and uh, whatever we can do to help you out, that's what we're going to do. But you're going to make that decision and even how hard you work on this stuff, if you really want to get it, you're going to get on a ball machine and, you know, do you know, 10,000 of these.
0: Gotcha. Rick. Great stuff. Can you talk to us about the Rick uh, Macy Tennis Academy, Uh, obviously a fantastic Academy, you know where it is, what types of training programs are available there as well?
2: Yeah. What we do is very different. Okay. Very different than any other Academy. Um, First off, the teaching methodology is really uh, the best in the country, especially from a technical point of view. All the coaches have been trained by myself. So you get a constant theme and that's different than any other Academy because you go to court to court and, and, you know, one guy's like, you're getting Chinese and English and, you know, it's like it, the whole thing is you're getting different points of view. So biomechanically, everybody sings the same song, even though I sing it maybe a, a lot differently because of my experience and understanding. Everybody's been trained in the methodology. So we have thousands of kids, bestie, 14 and under from around the world that come in all the time. And the one thing that's really different is, you know, I still teach 50 hours a week of private lessons and, you know, I still have the passion, the energy you know, I, I love to help kids, you know, I teach in a four year old, then the next hour I have someone that's going to Indian Wells, you know, playing the main draw. So it, it's a little different what we do, you know, my name's on the door, but I'm very engaged privately and so i think that's a big thing because people come a lot of them kids take private um not just for me but from the other coaches uh we never have more than 50 kids there's 12 coaches two fitness coaches uh we don't do a lot of boarding the boardings privately this is more about the instruction uh very personalized the model is very different uh we don't i don't do any marketing <laughs> I, I guess i don't have to because what's yeah. different because i'm in you know it's just a different it's not one-stop shopping like img you know we're not we're not doing that but the quality of the production uh it's what it's all about it's really what can your kid get and what are you going to do for my kid and the reason why we don't have to advertise it's word of mouth and uh it has nothing to do with i taught the Williams sisters or roddick or you know in the hall of fame or any of that you know those are all you know that's the icing on the cake uh but like you me and anybody else i try to go out there and i i try to improve every day and i got to be better tomorrow than i was today and that's kind of how this is put together and it's Family orientated and it's personalized and uh, the people that come here um they, they improve. It's about helping others and teaching others. It's not just about, you know, getting a suntan and hitting on a clay court or a hard court or playing with other kids. You can get that anywhere. It's just the quality of the instruction. And then, you know, the kids play matches and there's fitness and drills. Everybody can do that, but it, it's teaching those kids. And, um, this is what, uh, this is what drives me. And we have so many kids really from age five, uh, all the way up to 14, uh, that come here, uh, just for that, to get that foundation baked in um, and try to get optimal technique. And then there's a lot of kids, 15 to 18, that obviously I can help them uh, get the best college scholarship or help them navigate into pro tennis.
0: Love it, Rick. How can we connect and maybe join a training program at, at your academy? How, how can you or who? Well, uh, well, I would say like any amateur players who are watching who maybe, you know, they're interested and they love what you're talking about, like what's the best way to connect with the academy uh, to maybe... Uh,
2: well, they should, they should send me an, in, uh, an email to info at rickmacy.com i mean or if they want to call me my number personally is on the on the website i try to get back to everybody in 24 hours and like i said whether it's a four-year-old or even i had an 85 year old guy in here a couple weeks ago and he wanted me to do like reconstructive surgery on him and uh, i i love a challenge so um we we can help anybody and that's what we're here to do just uh uh, you know make people better and let them look at things through a different lens and uh, they'll really improve
0: rick you're the man thanks so much for your time i appreciate I really enjoyed this one. A lot of incredible information that people need to really pay attention to and put into action. Uh, thanks so much for joining uh, us, Rick, and wish you all the best and hope to see you sometime at a conference or something like that.
2: <laughs> all right. I, I appreciate it. Thanks.
0: Thanks so much, Rick. Take care. All right, I hope you really enjoyed that episode and that interview with Rick Macy. Uh, I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the Tennis Falls podcast, and you can do that by going to the podcast app of your choice and simply leaving a review. And uh, for iTunes, you can go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes to do that. I really appreciate you listening in. And At the top of the show, I actually mentioned that I had played four days in a row, and I just want to mention the importance of stretching. I mean, each of those days, maybe the second morning and and after, I felt pretty stiff. And what I did, as I do every single day, is I uh, jogged, did some jump roping, did some dynamic warm-up exercises, and then I did stretching. And I specifically focused on a bunch of uh, hip and groin stretches. And my hip tends to get very tight. So uh, by focusing and putting in ten minutes or so of of work on the stretching, which you know doesn't doesn't necessarily feel that great, but only takes you ten minutes uh, to do, I felt much more limber right right out of the gate. You know after stretching. So whoever invented stretching, uh, I want to give you a hug. You're probably not on Earth, <laughs> but anyway, sorry that took a grim turn there. It's kind of weird, but in any case, really want to encourage you to stretch. Uh, As much as you can, I mean, don't overdo it, of course, but most of us underdo it and we pay the price by feeling like crap and we don't know why we are not flexible and why we can't get to balls. And that's because we're not flexible and mobile enough. So really want to concentrate on that, especially if you feel a hampering in your movement and you are not stretching. All right. Well, uh, I would like to leave you with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Zig Ziglar, a very famous individual. And Zig said, don't let the mistakes and disappointments of the past control and direct your future. And that's really important because a lot of people, as you probably heard in some of the mental game episodes and um, uh, videos from the summit Uh, You often refer to previous times when you encounter a challenge, you might immediately think to the past and say, oh, you know, I screwed up last time, so what's going to change this time? But you can't do that. You have to trust in yourself and in all the practice and hard work that you put in and uh, just go forth and concentrate and give it your best effort. So I hope you like that quote by Zig Ziglar. And um, all of of the uh, links, anything mentioned on the show today will be at tennisfiles.com slash 98 as well as tennisfiles.com slash podcast. All right, well, I really appreciate you listening to the Tennis Files podcast in this episode uh, and every episode. Really appreciate your support and continuing messages and emails. And yeah, just let me know what's up. Let me know. Uh, What you need to improve in your tennis game, you can always email me at mirban at tennisfiles.com. That's M-E-H-R-B-A-N at tennisfiles.com. And that is that for this week. But uh, I will definitely be seeing you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, Have a great week and please play some tennis. And before you go out there, always have some objectives, some goals, and some things to work on. That's the way you'll improve. Just don't mindlessly go out there and just hit balls. So... Hope that inspires you to improve your game and take it to the next level. All right. I'll see you next week. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.